Right. Okay, that's me settled in. Cool. How's how's the dog babies going, Johnny? Um, they are dogs. Uh, they fart. They jump up on your freshly made bed with muddy paws. Uh, they say vaguely offensive things when you're just about to fall off to sleep, and then you think you're crazy. Normal, pretty normal actually. How about you? How's how's your real human functioning baby with all the trimmings? Well, this functional baby with all the trimmings, yeah, she also jumps under the bed with mucky paws and says vaguely offensive things when we're about to sleep. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure if maybe, maybe Frenchies and babies are a lot similar than you might imagine. Exactly. I've taken on another. I've taken on the family dog. It seems. Um, and they're all annoyed because they're like, well, why, why does he like you so much? Because I've cracked the secret. Animals respond well to kindness and food. Is this, a, is this that dog that wasn't very nice? No, no, that's another dog. I'm, I'm basically surrounded by dogs. Constantly dogging. Constantly dogging, yeah. That's, that sounds like the title of your sex tape. Yeah, or a biography, but they don't like think it's bad. Like Everyone's just so innocent naive at the publishing company, and then they just cannot work out why it's not selling like some christian publishing house and then like you know one of them happens to look up at urban dictionary and they're like what oh no how is this a thing who would do this oh so um we're recording today in the presence of my family oh wow they're all in the room i feel like i'm marrying you uh, really beloved i'm 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 a, I'm a one-woman man johnny but you're not a woman so you know welcome welcome to the family um yeah Got wife here, got baby here, I've got dog here. Dog is chewing on a boat, baby is chewing on wife, you know, it's all good. Wow, I feel like I'm a special guest, like in some weird lockdown interview show. Like, hi, welcome to not wanting to talk to my family. Or I, in the middle of family dinner during lockdown, just ask random people to call. Indeed, and do you know what happened for dinner tonight, Johnny? Haggis. to it but parallel construction it's very nice it's, it's good i'm glad that your life has synced up with the podcast like a soundtrack i in, in many ways the podcast is my life is it and <laughs> in other ways it's not but you know in, in many ways it is gonna like the idea like for like the thomas cochran episode you just went a full week going around in like full naval dress oh no and the thomas cochran week i just went around the world starting navies of random countries I mean, that, to be honest, that's more of an homage, you know? And you two are greatly respected in Chile, but that's for other reasons. Reasons we're not allowed to talk about. Yeah. 1999. I, I decided yeah. to make a Mallorcan Navy and a St. Kitts and Nevis Navy. Um, I made the Antarctic Navy. Yeah. Um, what was that other one? Oh, the Sri Lankan Navy. I, I, I made that. Is the Antarctic Navy just a bunch of guns taped to penguins? Yeah, in many ways, yes. You sound like you're nervous to give away the weakness. Like, don't say that. They don't know that. It's the whole element of surprise, the Penguin Suicide Battalion. You may very well think that. I couldn't possibly comment. Well, someone's got to stand up to Putin, and it might as well be the Penguin Suicide Battalion. Let's get to it. What's your... Let's talk about some food. Let's get to the meat and potatoes of this discussion. Let's stop pying around the issue. 
What would you take me for? A patsy? Have you noticed we've become a food blog, by the way? I've not noticed we've become a food blog. What? Well, this episode's on haggis. Last episode was on bovril. The episode before that was on iron brew. You're right. We have become a food blog for people who don't want to live past 50. That's genius. Uh, maybe maybe next week we should do the deep fried Mars bar. That is, that is actually an interesting and bizarre history to delve into. Okay, well, that's your week then. Um, <laughs> let's... Uh... Let's talk about haggis now because yeah, the the fact that we've become a food blog with like imperceptibly without anyone noticing but me is a uh, yeah, I think it's quite quite impressive. So what's what's your what's your favorite haggis memory? It's a good question. My favorite. Okay, I've got one of those um, stereotypical weird haggis. So yeah, I, I'm part of a family that can at time be kind of basically offensively Scottish. At one time, my kilt making uncle. And several other family members were gathered round, showing a little book he jokingly would give out to um, some of his guests who were American. And it was basically like a description of the common haggis. And it was one of those like classic early internet things where it's like, oh, yes, the haggis has two short legs and runs around the hills and can be found at best of times in spring around Robert Burns night. And one of those things, no, 99% of Americans, maybe like the odd Karen, doesn't believe but you know we like to chuckle at the idea they all believe the haggis is a real creature and i remember at the time just wishing the haggis was its own little independent beastie roaming around the place doing its own wee thing living its best life because you know i'm basically newt scamander but for food yeah it, w- it would be nice to be a wee little independent creature roaming around wouldn't it <laughs> let's not get into that i thought you might bring that up yeah, I just noticed your wording was almost perfect for that, but um, very spicy haggis that discussion. Yeah, well, it's, I, I'm actually I was kind of amazed to find that the haggis had as much spice in it as it do, as it does. Uh, I've been look, I've been looking this up. My favorite haggis memory, by the way, is yeah, almost exactly the same. I was I was running on a hill, uh, and I was kind of running on a hill in such a way that my feet were kind of like uh parallel to the hill, whereas I was kind of like you know perpendicular to the hill. So, you know, a very, I was, I was asking for a kind of a disaster to happen, but a disaster didn't happen. Instead, everyone just said I was running on the hill like a haggis. And I was like, haggis is a real thing? And I believed it for a while because I was only like six years old or something. Ah. And then, of course, my brother had to come out and say, like, you know, what the haggis actually was. And yeah, that, that changed things a bit. That is not a haggis making noise in the background, by the way. That's, uh, that's obviously making noise in the background. He misses you. Oh. My younglings miss him as well, and tis weirdly this adjacent smell. It does smell a little like haggis. I think that's because we don't wash them enough, and also I feed him a lot of porridge. Right. He's a very oak-stuffed dog. Are you fattening him up for Christmas? Sorry, for your wife. Thanksgiving. Uh, no, I, I, use the, I use the suet for that. I give him suets to fatten him up for Thanksgiving. Uh, give him more of a, you know, saturated feel. But yeah, so the haggis for the uninitiated is a type of pudding composed of the liver, heart, and lungs of a sheep, minced and mixed with beef or mutton suet and oatmeal, and seasoned with onion, cayenne pepper, and other spices. Ah, which is delicious. Really? I mean, doesn't that just sound great? Mm. I mean, I have to admit, I do love haggis. It is delicious. I eat veggie haggis now, of course, but, Mm. like, it's really... Like, even that is really good. And I remember... Like, when I was eating the beastie itself, it was, you know, it's a good, that's some, that's a myth we really need to get out of the way. I mean, haggis, 
there's a reason they've made haggis into so many different types and varieties. It is just a blooming delicious meal to have. Like, did you know they've made like haggis into like uh, wonton dumplings? There's haggis pizza. There's deep fried haggis Scotch eggs. You know, there's almost. I'm not sure if there's a haggis pudding, but like people wouldn't put all that effort into haggis if it didn't actually taste nice. You know, here's something that I need to be very open and honest with you about. Haggis, haggis nachos. Oh yeah. Haggis nachos are capable. Um, so when I when I was younger, I was a hard atheist. So I used to believe that there was no God and there couldn't possibly be. A, that made no sense to me. But then after a night out in a night out in Barcelona, I was holding a slice of pizza and I dropped it. And all known laws of physics said that it was going to land topping side down. And mm-hmm. it flipped and it landed topping side up. This is the event which turned me into an agnostic. Uh, a hard agnostic believing that, that you know i don't know if there's anything out there and nobody can possibly know if there's anything out there but you know I'm, i i recognize that phenomenon happen which have no earthly explanation occasionally that is beautiful with the uh with the tasting of haggis nachos i've become a soft agnostic i believe there legitimately might be somebody out there who is trying to tell us something and what they're telling us is to travel and to bring our food with us and to encourage each other to sharing each other's culture and delight in it because haggis nachos is brilliant especially with the guacamole that avocado lemon juice mixed with haggis you would never anticipate this these are two very different foods from very different parts of the world and yet they just sit together you know fraser we might be coming to a conclusion that the universe is beautifully planned but clearly my day isn't because i did not have much to eat before this and my hunger is going to grow throughout the episode so let's bring it down by mentioning that Haggis ice cream exists. And guess where you get it? <laughs> Japan. Harrods, Harrods department store. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. if you want to go to a store that used to be owned by conspiracy theorists and serves Haggis ice cream, London literally does have everything. Also, by the way, Haggis sushi used to be a thing in Edinburgh, but the place that served it shut down. I wonder why. I wonder if the Haggis was raw, because that would be a bit... That's a good question. Maybe that's what shut them down. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how dangerous that would be, actually. I don't think raw sheep has got anything. I mean, it's it's one of these meats which is so unlikely to have raw that it's or undercooked. Most people overcook sheep, so it's... You were talking about haggis, actually. Do you know what's in it? I've never actually checked, because people ask me all the time, and I always just say root vegetables and stuff. And I imagine in a lot of modern, fancier versions, there's, like, corn and, like, Linda McCarthy, which is, you know the Harrods, arguably, of the veggie vegan lifestyle. Well, I, I did a little look, research for this, and I I saw the McSween's ingredient list. So McSween's Haggis, you know, a very popular brand. Uh, they do their vegetarian haggis with black kidney beans, uh, mushrooms, and carrots. That's actually pretty straightforward. Yeah, well, I think- I'm pretty sure I've got those ingredients in tins in my bomb shelter. Yeah, mate, you, you need to get the percentages right, of course. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, it's within your it's within your reach, within your gift. You could make vegetarian yeah. haggis. You could make Johnny's vegetarian haggis and you could sell it to everyone. You could take it on your tours and sell it in little pouches at the end. Mm, still warm from being close to my body for two hours. There you are, sir. Get it whilst it's moist. Yeah, that'd be absolutely perfect. Yeah. Stomping way to, to, really, to really drive home the love of Scotland. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know? So just let it sit on your tongue like pure sushi in Japan. That's it. Savor the salty flavor. 
Yeah, it, it is quite it is quite salty at times. The, so the thing the thing with haggis that I have noticed is that yeah, it's probably not the sort of thing you should have very much or very often because like the 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 fact that it's made with suet. Um, I had to specifically look this up because I've heard about suet loads of times. I've heard mostly it's an ingredient used in mince pies, which of course aren't minced; they're made of meat. They aren't made of mince; they're made of minced meat, and minced meat is not minced meat; it is fruit. However, I've actually found it minced. Like, sorry, sorry, Fraser. Can I just stop and say there is a lot of confused people who have not a lot of knowledge of British cuisine who are just like, wait, wait, slow down. What was that? So minced meat is minced meat, and minced meat is fruit. <laughs> Okay, so here's how it works. No, no, it's okay. They, they can Google it. Just, yeah, no, they, they've got the internet. We're doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah, I, I use this. I, use, I used to use that de- explanation when I was explaining to Czech people about mince pies. Um, and they seem to understand it quite well. Maybe it's easier when you have a whiteboard behind you and you can actually write things up and like you draw X equals signs and put a cross through them to say, this is not this, which is a delight to them. But yeah, so See, that makes sense because at least you worked in the Czech Republic. I end up explaining food to Czech people, but it's from the level of my flat window screaming it out when they pass by. <laughs> so yours, yours at least has some reason to it. That's why I like you, Fraser. You're the rational one. I, I, I hate to imagine the podcast where I'm the rational one, but that's, that's just the podcast we find ourselves in. Anyway, suet. It turns out suet is an animal product. It comes from the kidneys and liver of beef, or in this case, it says that it could be from mutton either. Uh, so there's this fatty stuff you get around the kidney and liver, uh, and it's, it's, it's saturated, it's extremely saturated fat. It's really calorific stuff, very energy filled, uh, but it's a really important part of the haggis because it kind of helps to kind of bind it together as well as gift it with that amazing fattiness, the, you know, the amber bead that Burns talked about. Yeah. You mentioned, by the way, Mc, McSwain's, um, or Sweeney's, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, McSwain's, I think, is a company I've just made up, um, trademarked. Um, and basically, because that's how the law works, right? You just need to say the word trademarked. And um, d- did you know, according to them, 60% of all haggis they sell is sold in England? Mm. That was That's a similar number I got from uh, Howie's, actually. Simon Howie's, uh, yeah, they also said that. Uh, ah. I looked them up. So yeah, it's which which suggests that possibly yeah, it is just sixty percent of all haggards. Not- yeah, yeah. So I- weirdly, I, I was kind of I was only like half surprised by some of the big export markets for haggis. Like apparently Italy, France, and Portugal are big export markets. Hmm. But of course, famously, America isn't due to the ban. Oh, well, apparently that was lifted in twenty sixteen. Yeah, thanks Obama. Wait, well, be- yes, thanks Obama. It may have been Trump at that point, actually, but that seems like a very strange thing for him to him to do. I mean, he does like Scotland, so you know, <laughs> maybe. Yep. Maybe he just would... a reminder to all our listeners that his mother is from Scotland. We're sorry. We are sorry. We're not sure how it's our fault, but we're sorry. Yeah, well, I, I suppose we should probably be at least somewhat ashamed of that. Uh, but then again, yeah, I, I suppose maybe if, maybe if Scotland had been a nicer country to live in back then, she would have she would have stayed here, and there wouldn't have been a wee devilish creature like that running around. So sixty percent, yeah, as, you, as you're totally right, is sold to England and Wales. Which I mean, part of that will be Scottish people down there, because you know that's probably where the vast majority. So there's five million people in Scotland, but there's forty million Scots in the world, and I'd say that of that forty million, probably a Probably most of them are actually in England. There's probably more Scottish people in England than there are anywhere else. Yeah. And more English people in 
like not not more English people in Scotland, but English people are our largest quotation marks minority. They've been slowly fleeing north. Yeah, migrating. Yeah, what well, is is interesting. Uh, it seems it seems that Scotland does seem to attract a lot of the more kind of remain supporting English people. Maybe they expect something to happen and they're wanting to get their early applications in for a passport. Here's a cool thing about Haggis is the history. Uh, and of course, when we talk about the history of Haggis, there's kind of two histories to talk about with the Haggis. Number one, there's the history of it as kind of a foodstuff. But number two, there's the history of it as a Scottish national icon. And you might think- Icon, you say? Icon, yeah, it's, it's iconic of this country. You know, people hear Haggis and they think Scotland, that's just kind of how it goes. But the thing that I've found is these, these two are not the same. Uh, I mean, the earliest forms of haggis that you can kind of imagine were, of course, not from Scotland because people ate food in other places. People had animals in other places. It's not that difficult to basically take bits of an animal and shove it inside other bits of an animal and to create, you know, a food stuff which is better than the individual parts. Uh, the Romans are said to have done this. Uh, I believe the Chinese probably also have a claim to this. But no, not it wouldn't be the exact same recipe. But then again... Who, who cares about it being the exact recipe? The concept was probably done by our people ages before Scots. Even the more kind of Scottish style of haggis, we actually have printed works from English uh, going back to 1430, I believe, was the earliest I saw, uh, from Lanc Lancashire. Uh, so from Lancashire, there was this uh, recipe book which had basically a recipe for haggis, which is very similar to the way it's made in the modern world. So that suggests that, yeah, Possibly there is a Northern English connection to it as well, and it might even come from there. So are you trying to argue that haggis was invented in, in England, basically? It might have been. The, I mean, there's, there's a sort of thing that, that English historical records was maybe just better kept than Scottish ones. It's always, mm. it's always this kind of tricky, tricky area where the earliest kind of written documents we have to suggest that uh, do seem to be uh, English rather than Scottish, but there's the possibility that it was a thing in Scotland, but then maybe it was just too commonplace so it wasn't written down. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, that's that's always a possibility. Sometimes things, when something's too commonplace, it's, people don't really take note of it. It's, it's only quite recently that we started really paying attention to the normal uh, and the everyday in terms of, like, you know, social anthropology. That just wasn't a study done back then. So, yes, By the way, I want to point out, right, that even though a haggis is, as an animal, is fictitious, Kelvin Grove Art Gallery in Glasgow did have a display of a haggis next to an actual, like, real stomachy haggis. Because there was a time when museums in Scotland had way too much money in their budget. <laughs> well, that just sounds like they wanted something to do for the artists, you know? The Kelvin Grove has such fine artists, but, like, they were like, nah, we've got too many paintings. Go sculpt a haggis. Oh, you mean like the food? No, I mean like the fictional creature. Get to it. Stick some hair on a guinea pig. But it's hairy enough. More. <laughs> more hair, more suet. Give that guinea pig yeah. suet. <laughs> By the way, have you ever heard of Operation Haggis? Operation Haggis. Um, is this going to be some crazy wartime invasion? No, but it is a crazy wartime story because it's me and I am just literally sitting on a chair made of guns. I call it the lead throne. Um, yeah, so basically during the Korean War, the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders received 82 kilos of haggis, which disturbingly is about my body weight. I'm not healthy. Uh, from the number 30 transport unit, RAF, and they called it Operation Haggis. That's it? Yep, they dropped haggis from them from a great height. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I was wondering if they were going to be like, and then they fed the locals, and then they, it was they were trying to convince the locals to turn Scottish or something, but. I mean, if you're trying to win them to your side, do you really want to introduce them to the hags? I mean, I think so, especially during the Korean War when people would have been so so hungry. That the, That's you know, true. Anything. Give us anything. I guess it would have been a great introduction, actually, because it would have been like, oh, wow, look at this, like, you know, delicious thing. And what's this random... It's got... It's, you know, it's fibrous. It's some, probably somewhat healthy. Yeah. I mean, it will keep you healthy. Oh, by the way, and whilst it is probably true that you couldn't import haggis before 2016, thanks Obama, um, you could still make it there. There was a guy uh, called Eric Livingston who set a world record by eating 1.4 kilos of haggis in eight minutes in Philadelphia. Wow. That is a lot of haggis to eat in a short period of time. Did you hear? Did he even argue was commenting on that? Yeah. And now, live on the podcast, we will shatter that record. I hope you, Fraser, have your... Uh, I got two kilos, because I like to go big or go home. Oh, yeah, I've got 9.7 kilos of haggis right here. Yeah. Uh, by the way, um, in honour of Harrods, um, I have also got a dessert of haggis-flavoured ice cream, just to follow <laughs> up. It was my single most expensive purchase. Mm, yeah. Four pounds. It comes with diamonds. Tiny diamonds yeah. for four pounds. On the topic of its history, the first time it's referenced in Scottish and Scots was in a flighting. Uh, so you know, oh, one of the rap battles. Yeah, yeah. So one of our rap battles. That's that's pretty much the perfect way to put a flighting. Uh, so the flight, the flighting was a tradition done in Scotland, where basically two scholars would stand up and spit mad fire at each other. And the idea was that they were trying to insult each other's virility and masculinity and trying to say how each other was, you know, the worst person who ever lived and wasn't really fit to be at the dinner. It was really quite brutal. Like, you know, some of these, some of the things they said about them was like, you know, really having a go at them. But the earliest, the earliest reference we have to uh, haggis in Scotland is from the flighting of Dunbar and Kennedy, where William Dunbar... That sounds like a presidential debate just because of Kennedy. It sounds like, you know, who you're running for clan chief. And in this debate, <laughs> uh, thy foul front hads, and he that Bartilmo flayed, the gallows gypus after thy gracil's gruntle, as now world far and haggis hungry glad. You know, it's I, I, I can't say that I fully understand Scots, uh, especially this type of time of Scots. Like more modern Scots, I can still kind of like you know I can figure, I can pass it a lot easier. But this is kind of like you know 16th century Scots and it's, yeah. Yeah, you sounded a lot like the guy who speaks Doric and Brave there. There's a flighting that came up, one of our epic rap battles of history. Uh, pretty, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty fun because uh, I've often I have often seen people we should maybe do an episode on this at some point. You get a lot of people who think that you know uh, things like rap are cultural appropriation. Uh, that, you know, when 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 anybody does it who's not, uh, you know, from the urban streets of America. Uh, but, nah, because people have been using rhyme to kind of insult each other for a long time, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean, we need to remember the most important fact about history. And that was, up until about the 1990s, people had a lot of time. And they had a lot of things needing to fill that time. Well, no, there was a wonderful gap between when the first workhouses started closing and they, before the internet came, where people had time, but they didn't know how to fill it. And so there's going to be at least some rhyming going on like, against each other. Like, I, I can imagine coming up with that one bored. Like, oh, your mum's a twit because yeah. she's covered in knits. There, boom, done. Kind of. You know? 
your heart is as full as your trousers are baggy, uh, baggus, and your brain is as uh, minced up as a fat haggis. You know, like, I could, I could totally see that happening, right? It's... Look at us spitting bars straight out of East Kilbride. Can you, can you believe that I made that up off the top of my head? Because I can. I really can believe I did that, because I did. Yeah, that is... Of all the facts we share on this podcast, that is one of the more believable ones. So the haggis was not something that was inherently Scottish in its initial kind of form, because obviously any food stuff like this, it's kind of like the game of football. You know, people say they invented football. Anyone with pigs invented football, because it doesn't take much to rip a bladder at a pig, fill it with air and kick it about. You know, that's and that's 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 essentially what football is. You can be... You, can be, you know, well, I was just going to say quickly, like a big part of the reason, like, some say the haggis was like served in the stomach like way like like you said with the pigs that wherever you had pigs you had footballs was that it was kind of like people were often working how working out how to make food more portable because you know you imagine how hard it was to cook something and you know just transit and the way people have to travel and the distances and time and one thing is it's kind of seen one theory is that basically it was like having a pack lunch but packing it in its own stomach casing just kept everything together you could cut open when you're ready and dive in there. Yeah, I mean, so that... most haggis today is wrapped in a plastic stomach. It's not an actual stomach they've wrapped it in. Which is probably just introducing our plastic into our food stuff. So, you know, that's that's smart, isn't it? I mean, if at least if it's stomach, then it just dissolves away. But yeah, it's like you kind of use what you have, right? So I, I've heard a similar thing about it was about hunters. So hunters, if they had, if they wanted to gather up the awful of, awful, by the way, is the, of course the official name for inner parts of, of an animal. If you wanted to give up the offal, what they'd do is they'd cook bits of it and then they'd shove it into a stomach because that just kind of keeps it better. So you, mm. like, you'd fry up the kidney and liver and then you'd kind of chop it up and you'd chuck it inside the stomach with... And then, but you know, adding stuff like oats, that makes sense just to make it kind of a bit more full. And adding the suet would also help, as I say, bind it together and preserve it a bit more. Also makes it more nutritious, well, in terms of calorific. And back in the day, calories were king. Today, we're trying to get away from calories, but in the past, the more calories you had, the, the, the more energy you had for anything, pretty much. Speak for yourself. I'm still trying to stuff in the calories. Why? Because I don't think lockdown's going anywhere. You know where it is going somewhere? The food supply. I'm going to stick in my nuclear bunker of all my veggie haggis, homemade and raring to go, piling on the calories, so that at least in the slowly rotting wastelands of our post-apocalyptic world, I'll be a stuffed haggis of a man. Yeah, it sounds like you've got yourself really organised, and I'll, I'll have to arrange that you know my my family and I to come and pillage your bunker at some point and steal all your vegetables. I have just told you I'm going to be slow, heavy, and weak. So, <laughs> yeah, you're you're probably going to win that fight. <laughs> yeah, and ha- haven't I told you my my baby's going to be a champion javelin thrower? Why not a haggis hurler? Well, I, I, I didn't think of that, but I think she could probably do more damage with a javelin than with a haggis. I mean. Depends on the age of the haggis. Yeah, that's, that's... A bit like horse chestnuts. You need to leave it in vinegar. Only with haggis, it's battery acid. The haggis, when it comes to its history, it's pretty much... It's, it's a combined history. It's a world's history. Everyone everyone in the world had something approximating haggis. But where it gets interesting is how it became a specifically Scottish thing. And this gets into a fascinating level of economic history. Because Scotland... Yeah, Scotland during the 17th century became kind of poor. Because... What? Well, we were suffering quite a bit from, we had a bit of a famine and we had like a, lot, a series of very poor harvests. And then, of course, we had the failure of the Darien scheme. OK, very fair. You're blowing my mind. Are you telling me that a country with very little arable soil, poor weather conditions, 
suffered from famine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to believe. It doesn't, generally, famine doesn't really happen. Uh, it's the, the only time famine ever happens is if it's, like, you know, by choice. You know, generally, somebody, if, if, if famine happens, it's a complete political decision. But in this case, no, it was just something natural which occurs. Just apparently, famine can happen to countries that haven't got great soil sometimes, which Scotland didn't, unfortunately. The more you know. Add to this the failure of our attempted colonization of the Darien Gap, one of the few bits of the planet today which still resists human occupation, by the way. It's it's crazy it's that we tried to colonize this one extremely unlucky spot to try and colonize. Fraser, but- can I can I interject with my personal head canon? Because I've heard a lot about this. I'm, I'm fascinated. One of my personal pet projects is reading on like the Darien scheme and all that. And you're totally right. People do not go there. It's really hard to go there. And I know that's because of nature. And I know it's because of life. And I know it's because of, you know, the, it's probably something to do with Reagan and neoliberalism. But most of all, I think it's, in my personal theory, is that the Scots for 400 years have been going to this bit of Central America and, like, putting salt in the soil and, like, kicking over infrastructure whenever they find it and disconnecting Wi-Fi. Because if anyone does settle there, it will make us look bad. I could totally believe that. Scots are very good at grievances. We're very good at getting re- we're very good at revenge as well. You know that's our national motto, right? None may harm me with impunity. <laughs> yeah, take that, Darian, for killing a bunch. Except in football, if you beat us at football, the revenge is definitely best served cold, freezing cold, mm. years cold. Because <laughs> maybe we got into the Euros, right? So we'll see what happens next year. We shall see. Yeah. Future listeners, I'm going to do a bit of fortune telling. Um, if you're listening to this in 2022, well done, Scotland, on getting through to. The second round? Yeah, well done, guys. We did it. So Scotland was poor. And since we were poor and we didn't have great food quality, uh, what we had to do is switch from eating good, high-quality meat stuff and veg stuff to eating haggis. We had to make the most out of the food that we did have. We had to use the guts, basically. Again, that ties in with my thing about Scottish people earlier. It's like, oh, no, we're forced to eat sheep's stomach. And then we make it our national dish if we intended to eat it all along like oh forced to eat this no 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 we love it like we we're choosing to eat this this is our choice to eat this food like come on try some of it it's delicious that is almost exactly how it turned out that's almost exactly how it turned out actually my god like our country is beyond parody and that's why i love it yeah (laughs) we're the greatest i love it it started it started off that the english were trying to kind of like parody the scots has been like Oh, look at these poor jocks are eating all this, this, these inner parts of animals, despite the fact that the English had been eating inner parts of animals all the way up to the Industrial Revolution when that finally liberated the countryside and people didn't have to grow. I mean, one of the most common, like, Sunday dinners in, in all of Britain was fish head. Like, no one could judge anyone else's food back then. Well, precisely. I don't know. I don't know what they were getting at, but for some reason the English decided that they were going to turn haggis into an anti-Scottish slur, and they did their best using haggis as an anti-Scottish slur. But then the Scots did the unexpected, and we were just like, "Yeah, we do eat haggis. We love haggis. Haggis is amazing." And then, of course, when the king came up to visit us in 1822, we decided to make haggis the main dish, and the king was like, "This is jolly good," and basically that kind of just cemented it as being, you know, this Scottish thing. Uh, that is the only way, by the way, any monarch can uh, affirm something. It's either, I am not amused, dreadful, or jolly good. They're kind of like um, Woody and Toy Story. They just have a string at the back. Kings and queens, that's all they can really say. Haggis became a Scottish thing purely because it was being used as a kind of insult against us. Well, if they say that we're these 
brutal, gut-eating, haggis-piping, uh, Iron Brewer, guzzling people, then yeah, that's who we're going to become, and that is indeed who we became. Yeah, and I, I, it, it's it's kind of beautiful. Like it's something about I, I find in particular like put upon countries and such smaller countries make some powerful neighbors. Is you know it's just like you said, it's um, they adopt, they they quote, they take in the things that people think offend them. Just like my dog. <laughs> they they take in the things that offend them. Uh, All right, now they're apparently offended by a door. It's a door. It's meant to be there. Now, the clown in the corner, I don't know. You can bark at that, but the door's there. So how about we get wrapping this up, eh? Just like the proverbial haggis and the proverbial sheepskin of the proverbial... Proverb- you mean plastic. Plastic. Don't scare the Americans. And- they imports again. It will crush the industry. Yeah, well, hopefully it'll be back. It's, it's, it does kind of interest me that so many people have kind of brought haggis, uh, buy haggis specifically from Scotland, even though pretty much you can make it anywhere. Like my, my brother in Australia, he made it at one point on a, on a campfire in Australia. Uh, so it's like, yeah, you, haggis, is there's, there's nothing about it which says it has to come from Scotland. It's, it's definitely something which you can make if you just have sufficient number of guts and a little bit of spices. Yeah. Got and the- it's an amazing, and we've hinted at how diverse it is, like, you know, haggis, sushi and stuff. It's not only easy to make, it's pretty diverse. It is quite nutritional, despite the suet. You know, it's got a lot of other stuff in it as well. I mean, especially the veggie stuff. You can even have, I've had, like, veggie haggis with peanuts in it and things like that. But, you know, it's good protein. Yeah, it sounds like it'd go well with, like, a Vietnamese-style dish, you know? If it, if it, if it, yeah. if it goes well with the peanuts, and to be honest, yeah, there's, there's nothing in there which suggests that you couldn't find it in Vietnamese cuisine, right? Exactly. So Vietnam, get on it. Adopt the haggis, and our two great nations will grow ever closer. The famous bond between Vietnam and Scotland. Haggis is delicious, and haggis is somewhat Scottish. But it's not completely Scottish because, you know, what in the world is, com- is completely the belonging of one nation? It belongs to us all. It's something that we should all kind of appreciate, try out, have it in a few different ways. Uh, I'm really interested to see what's the most interesting way that anyone's had haggis. Uh, if they want to tell us about this, they can go at True Scotsman Pod on Twitter and they can tell us what's happening. Where are your haggis? Smear it into your skin as a ritual moisturizer. Throw it at a friend or neighbour, but whilst maintaining social distancing. So, you know, make sure it falls two metres short. So really, just throw haggis in the street. We should do like a haggis curling, or possibly we should do like a haggis decorating contest. So, so whoever... For Christmas. Yeah, let's do a haggis... Like de- logs. Let's, let's start a haggis log, but like you decorate it, you make it festive. Mm. So whoever... Whoever decorates the prettiest haggis and sends it to our Twitter page wins one date with Johnny. That, that's not a prize. That's not even close to a prize. That's... A date with me is just me polishing my collection of moose bones. I've never been hunting. I just purchased moose bones off the internet and collect them now. Well, that's the, that's, that's the prize we're offering. So, yeah, that's what you've got to do. You have to have entered this contest by the 14th of December to win a Christmas date with Johnny. Oh, I have to give up Christmas? I mean, yeah, I, I totally knew about this before. Competition! Uh, it's just in the Christmas season. It's not actually specifically Christmas itself. Uh, and if, Thank uh, you for your consideration, because some of us have plans. Plans we're legally not allowed to share, uh, but, but still plans. Terms and conditions are subject to availability. 
<laughs> Subject to appeal. Yes, good catch, Joe Sherman. Anyway, yeah. You're basically saying you're off the hook. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's been a delight talking with you, Johnny. Wonderful chat with you, Fraser, you know. Cool. This has been True Scotsman Podcast. We have been the boys. Stay spicy. True Scotsman is a Scottish history and culture podcast by Roshin Caird, Fraser Medvedick-Horn and Johnny Rhodes. The music is by Adam Logan. Each Saturday, we release a new episode exploring an aspect of Scottish history that we're interested in and that we want to tell you about. If you enjoyed the show and you'd like to support it, share the podcast around, tell your friends. We're here every week with a new episode for you.